Welcome to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. We are so thankful that you are listening in. The Neighborhood Church is all about helping people find and follow Jesus. We hope that through these podcasts you are encouraged, that you're inspired, and that you're provided with practical wisdom on how to find and follow Jesus. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. continuing in New Testament Central, our Roman series. Uh, I think I was calculating this must be around week 386 of our Roman series, Uh, but we are winding down and we are finding ourselves in the beautiful chapter of 15 in Romans. So if you want to turn in your Bibles with me, uh, if you have a Bible, if you don't have a Bible, Why don't you talk to us and we'll give you one. Um, If you have one at home, just run and get it really quickly because we're going to read. We're reading in uh, 15 and we're closing off the chapter of 15 tonight. Uh, We're reading all the way from verses 13 to 32. So uh, this is going to be a long haul. I'm just going to read it and you guys just, I don't know, read along or... Just sit there and think about how long it's taking until I'm done speaking, okay? Does that sound good? Good, okay. So here we go. We're going to pick up in verse 14, and I'm reading out of the NIV. Paul is writing to the Romans again, and he says, I myself am convinced, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, complete in knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. I have written you quite boldly on some points, as if to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles with the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God, so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And immediately we see that someone needed to talk to Paul about run-on sentences. Am I right? (laughs) Okay, let's continue. 17, therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except that Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. By the power of signs and miracles through the power of the Spirit, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Here's a, I don't don't know how to say this one, lithium. I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I've often been hindered in coming to you. And we continue in verse 23. So we're about halfway. Is everybody still feeling good? Yeah, Paul's doing good. Somebody tried clapping. That's good. All right. Uh, Verse 23. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there. 
After I have enjoyed your company for a while, uh, oh, sorry, that's the end of the sentence. After I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there. For Macedonia and Achai were pleased to make a contribution to the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this fruit, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. All right, last two verses, verse 30. I urge you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there, so that by God's will I may come to you with the joy and together with you be refreshed. That's it. Give yourself a round of applause. Yeah. You made it. Good work. Well, I mean, you didn't actually have to do that much work. But still, good work. Participation trophies for everybody. So now when I first read this, I was honestly really struggling with what exactly I was going to speak on. um, Because I don't know uh, what you guys got out of it as we read it. Uh, But to me... This seems like a very plain text. Uh, Paul has done his theology teaching and is basically getting ready to sign off the letter. Um, And so I sat there and I was like, huh, where is the sermon in this? Uh, But since we're doing Romans teaching verse by verse, I was like, okay, I need to dig deeper. We got to get something out of this. We got to pull something and, and, and make something significant. And so I reread the passage and I reread the passage and I tried to look for a deeper meaning in the text. Uh, I propped open some commentaries and read multiple commentaries. I learned how to read, write, and speak ancient Greek. Uh, And then I actually traveled to Israel to uh, a place where they hold ancient artifacts and they uh, let me look at some original copies of the text. Uh, And at that point, I thought, this is useless. Uh, So I just invented a time machine and went back in time and talked to Paul himself. And I was like, what was really going on? And uh, he was like, yeah, I was done my theology and I was just getting ready to sign off the letter. So, (laughs) no, that didn't happen. But what did happen is I did read uh, it a lot of times and I did open some commentaries at least. Uh, And here's the the deeper meaning I found. Uh, Paul has done his theology and he's getting ready to sign off. Um, So spoiler alert, this happens at the end of letters sometimes. The end comes and they're like, the end. (laughs) So we're at the the. But Paul is basically saying, just just to simplify this, and I I, I do have a sermon tonight, so don't worry, okay? You do get to sit here for 30 minutes and listen to me, okay? I know some of you are like, no sermon. There is one. But Paul is basically saying, uh, in modern terms, sometimes when I read a lot of Bible and I'm trying to help my brain like figure out, okay, what does all this mean? I write it out. And this is what I think Paul is saying just in plain words to us. I said everything I need to say. I've written to you boldly because of my call and I've reached this area that I'm living in. Uh, I've reached the Gentiles in this area with the gospel through the power of Christ. 
And now I'm delayed in visiting you again, but I, come, I plan to come immediately on my way to Spain. I'm bringing a collection from my missions trip to Jerusalem first. Uh, pray for safety, and then I'll come visit you. So that's basically the gist of everything that Paul is saying here. Um, so we've had church. Let's go be the church. Amen? Yeah? Okay. Yes. Clapping. Just wants to get out of church. Yeah, so jokes aside, though, I wrestled with this a lot. And when I found out that this was all that Paul was saying, I started reading into each verse and seeing what the historical uh, importance of each thing is. And I started to learn some different things from a historical standpoint in here. Uh, We see that Paul is talking about an offering of Gentiles and his priestly duty. It seems that Paul is reiterating again at the close of this book his, uh, his call to reach the Gentiles specifically with the gospel. He talks about the places he's reached. He talks about how there's an offering to Christ of souls of the Gentiles, not just a monetary offering. And he talks about how um, he plans to visit Rome and how he's been delayed before. And we can read through commentaries and stuff that if you compare Acts and, and uh, Romans, you can see that, you know, either the Spirit blocked his way from, from Rome or Paul says himself in First Thessalonians that uh, Satan was blocking his path to Rome. Uh, so he's been trying to get there for some time, but he shows up in verse 30 um, saying that he is bringing an offering to Jerusalem first. And so, um, oh, sorry, no, he doesn't say that in 30. He says that earlier, but then further down he says it. So you see that he's bringing an offering to the, the church in Jerusalem before he can come visit them. But the interesting thing, the thing that really got me stuck, and the thing that I'm going to spend time talking about tonight, is that in verse 30, Paul kind of takes a weird change in tone, uh, and he starts to say, he says, I urge you, brothers, by our Lord and Jesus Christ, um, by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying for me. And then, so he's asking for specific prayer in a struggle, something deeper than just like, join me in praying that my travel would be safe. But he's actually saying, pray that I would be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there. So that God, uh, <clears throat> so that by God's will I may come and visit you. So he's he's expressing this sort of weird sense of trepidation about going back home to Jerusalem to the church, and not just because there's unbelievers there that don't like him, but actually, in fact, because he's showing some sort of sign of trepidation about the believers in Jerusalem and how they will accept him. And to me, this this struck me as odd and interesting. And so I started reading into this and started finding a few interesting things to talk about. And so to figure this out, um, I think what Paul is dealing with starts when he's addressing the disunity of the Roman church uh, earlier. And we've been talking about that. Uh, How many of you have been here for our series, Why Can't We Just Get Along? A few of you? Okay. Uh, That was in Romans. And we talked about it the last few weeks. Um, But Paul is talking about disunity in the church, and he gives a devastatingly strong rebuke to the Roman church for their disunity right at the end of uh, chapter 14, in the beginning of chapter 14. I'm sorry, the chapter 15. And Paul is basically calling them for a lack of Christiformity, which is a word that a commentator uses to talk about the unity of God's people in the image of Christ. 
So their lack of Christiformity in the sense of coming across Christ-like and actually having a unified front of presenting that same image of Christ is lacking. And Paul, in the previous verses, is trying to establish two camps of Christians which we've heard about. Or sorry, he's not trying to establish two camps of Christians that we've heard about the weak versus the strong. He's not trying to make, you know, here's the weak and they suck and here's the strong and they're really sweet. But he's actually trying to point out the necessity of cooperation, compassion, and welcoming and grace for one another. And as God has shown grace and compassion to us, how we ought to show it to each other. And so this is all in the rebuke that he's giving to the Romans and telling them that they need to have unity in the body. And again, I just want to say that the weak in faith and the strong in faith thing is not about a better or worse comparison, uh, but these are two representations of the whole. And Pastor John has done a good job of explaining that. And so Paul is working on a foundation of Christiformity. And so we jump ahead and we see him bringing an offering to Jerusalem. This offering that he's talking about, and he's asking for prayer in its reception in verse 30, he's asking the Roman believers to pray that this literal money that he's collected from new Gentile converts to be accepted in Jerusalem, the hub of Jewish converts. And the whole tension of the entire book leans into this verse in a really interesting way. Because if you've been around... You've heard about the conflict and tension between Jewish believers and Gentile believers, and Paul is trying to bring them together. And so here, he starts talking about the offering he's bringing to Jerusalem. But it's not just a matter of money. Now, this is what really got me interested, okay? Because it seems like a plain text, but then he's showing this trepidation with Jerusalem, and he's bringing money, but it seems to not just be money to him. In fact, Paul views this money as a natural give and take of the unity of the body of Christ. This money that he's bringing to Jerusalem is actually a larger symbol of what is happening worldwide in the growth of Christendom, meaning the growth of Christianity. And Paul is saying that this is, or, or sorry, Paul is, is believing, and we can, when the commentators look through his language and choice of words and how he is referring to the specific offering, he's treating it as if it was an extended handshake from the Gentiles to the Jewish believers to identify with them. And since the Jews were responsible for giving the Gentiles the gospel first, so the Gentiles are able to give money to the Jerusalem church to help those in need. In fact, when Paul left Jerusalem, something like 10 years prior to this, he was charged with bringing money back. Jerusalem was like, go, be our missionary to the Gentiles. But don't forget us, we have people in need here. If you can have collections and bring it to us, we can help the people here. And Paul was like, cool, I'll go. They had a good missions board, right? Yeah, okay, no. All right, everybody's like, what's a mission board? Uh, but Paul sees this contribution as an ultimate mark of unity and as the completion to a large extent of his mission in unifying the Gentiles and the Jews. Everybody catching where I'm coming from here? There's a lot of significance wrapped up into this offering that he's bringing. Now, however, we get this surprising concern again from Paul in the way that he asks for prayer, not just for protection on the way or protection from unbelievers, but actually he prays for acceptance, as in lack of opposition 
from the people accepting the contribution, the Jewish believers, the Jerusalem church. And this is weird. I don't know about you, but it seems like, well, why wouldn't they just be like, give me that money? Of course. Welcome back. He's bringing money. Come on in and have a coffee that's culturally acceptable at that time. Uh, And so it's this strange, striking, why would he have an issue bringing money to this church in Jerusalem? Now, here's the thing, is that it's no coincidence that Paul is wrapping up his discussion about unity amongst the body when he's asking for prayer over this contribution. Because, as I just said, this contribution represents to him an a visible reality of the unity of Christ. Does that make sense? Yeah? Paul said yes. Paul, we're going to keep going. This always happens when I speak. Me and Paul, they're rapping, we're rolling, we got it going, and everybody's like, is he done? It's been like 30 minutes. There's a commentator that talks about this. His name is Leander Keck, in case you want to look him up and proof, uh, proof text my, or, or make sure I'm not lying to you, you can look it up. Leander Keck, in his commentary on Romans, describes the deterioration of Paul's relationship with Jerusalem which is interesting, and he talks about how the believers in Jerusalem uh, actually are um, like having a little bit of a falling out with Paul. In this, uh, in this, he outlines the connections to Acts, what we can read in Acts about Paul's missionary journeys, and that it is possible that Paul was offer- offering was in fact rejected by the Jerusalem church. That's an actual hypothesis of a historian, that Paul, having arrived to Jerusalem, they said no to his money. So what's going on here? In fact, Paul is put into protective custody right after uh, an exchange with James because of a riot that happens. And the entire story closes with Paul's transport to Rome as a prisoner and not as a missionary. And so things kind of end up deteriorating, actually, as Paul had feared. And we don't know what happened to the money. Uh, all we can know is that after this exchange with James, Paul was taken into custody, and off he went. And it's recorded that, speaking to Romans officials, he said, I was in Jerusalem because I was bringing alms to my nation. And so, in light of this falling out, I'm going to focus on Paul's reception by the Jerusalem church rather than focusing on the unbelievers in Judea. Does that sound okay? Yeah? Okay. Okay. Um, I'm just going to take a quick breather here real quick. So if I ask a question, just feel free to answer. I mean, you don't, it's okay if you do. Uh, I won't be offended. Um, Okay, I think we're good. Okay, back to it. So it seems that Paul, through his language in chapter 15 here, feels that Jerusalem believers actually identify more strongly with Jewish non-believers than with himself, even though Paul is a Christian and a believer, and the Jewish non-believers are not. And Paul's concern for acceptance by them seems twofold. First of all, he seems to think that this contribution is a visible sign of Christiformity and is at risk of rejection because of the state of the Jerusalem church, which we've already talked about. And secondly, Paul is actual, Paul's actual reception by the Jerusalem church is also at risk because of the lack of unity. And so Paul just finished writing about the importance and role of unity in the church to Romans, and his concern for unity now rolls over into the church of Jerusalem. And this, to me, is just amazing, because Paul finds himself going back home 
to where he was sent out on his mission, being afraid of bringing them good news of converts and good news of bringing a whole bunch of money, and he finds himself with trepidation about his reception at the church. And Paul actually, in his language, he urges the people in Rome, the Christian church in Rome, to join the struggle of prayer. It's not like he's just asking for a blessing. He believes that this is going to be an actual struggle. And so what is the lesson that we can take from this? Now, Paul, the one sent from Jerusalem as a missionary to the Gentiles, comes to return the offering of souls to God and money, and he has immense trepidation And the talk of unity that he had talked about is actually what kind of spurs him on into realizing that there's a disconnect here. When I was talking to Alyssa, how many of y'all know Alyssa, my wife? If you didn't raise your hand, come talk to me later. You got to meet her. She's pretty cool. So, okay, I'll talk to you later. Alyssa was hypothesizing to me as we discussed this text that Paul actually indirectly identifies the Jerusalem believers as weak in faith, but having immense power and he's worried about what they might do with that power. What he's worried about is that the church would be divided because of the weak of faith having so much power and rejecting the hand of the Gentiles. So this is what I want to talk about, is not letting the church be divided. So perhaps the lesson to be learned here is that tragically... Paul wasn't recepted or was, was left in a state of turmoil, not knowing if he would be accepted with his offering to the church in Jerusalem. And it strikes me as sad because he's headed where he used to call home. It's like if he was coming back to his home church after being on a missions leave. And he's worried about the reception because they find it easier to identify with non-believing Jewish people than with the Gentiles that he's converted And this just breaks my heart because it's something that we can see in our churches so easily even today is this this breaking of unity over something that just comes easier to us or something of a matter of preference. And if you've been in church at all here recently, you've heard Pastor John talk about this. And it breaks my heart because Paul is stuck in this place of loneliness where he's writing to people who he's ever never even talked to or met before and asking them for their prayers and saying, I can't wait to be with you, actually, because my home is a place of such dissension that I can't find rest there. I feel the loneliness of Paul as he writes this letter, and I see the ability for believers to turn against one another because of one disagreement or another. And I feel like I can remember the looks of judgment that Paul must have seen from his fellow believers because they thought that he wasn't fitting the mold properly or the way that they preferred for him to fit. And that's really what breaks my heart. Now, I'm not trying to read my own experience too much into this text, truly, but in studying this passage, I just kept on, it just kept on striking me on the head, like just like a smack to the forehead, like how, heartbroken must have been, how, how heartbreaking must it have been for Paul to just constantly be feeling this trepidation going back home, and it reminds me of our possibility for dissension in our church. And not even just in the way of being toxic over disputable matters, but the basics of how we treat one another. So, this is a... Sorry, I'm just actually... 
miswritten something, miswritten something here. Write that down, miswritten word of the night, okay? Got it? It brings me to this place of reflection upon our church and makes me think about our personal context and about how easily we have this ability to be churned away from receiving people and receiving each other and actually into a place of judgment. And I want to ask, friends, have you felt judgment from a fellow Christian in church because you're not the way that they would like you to be? Ask yourself these questions with me. Have you ever had someone come around, or have you ever heard a word come around uh, that people don't like the way you do something or upset with you and they feel free expressing it to everyone except for you? Um, Have you ever had glares or scowls or people, you know, cast dirty looks at you because apparently they... They have an issue with you. I know that I've had things like this happen to me. I've had rumors and trash talk spread and come around back to me and eventually me or someone close to me hearing them. And this place that you make a home, your church, can actually become a place that feels so uncomfortable because the conformity that some people are looking for isn't found in you the way that they're looking for it. And to me, as I read this segment of Paul, I just think that this can still be the reality of our church today, that the home we're supposed to share together still has the capacity to suffer with the sickness of bitterness, unresolved conflict, and judgment. And so from as little as a a small disputable matter, and Pastor John has really done an amazing job of talking about disputable matters in the last few weeks, to, to something that might seem like a larger issue, there's still this ability in us to become a toxic church and to turn people away from a place that should be a place of home and rest and peace. Just as Paul was afraid of returning home to his church because of what people were thinking of his work. And so my question is, what sort of church are we going to be when we look at this and we can see a man that was truly hurting and trying to find his way back home to his church and feeling these or or evidently having quite a crisis of whether he's going to be accepted or not. And it makes me wonder, are we going to be uh, a church where people are eager to visit and positive community and encouragement, something that is really a positive factor in somebody's life? Or are we going to be a church that is divided and more concerned over disputable matters than welcoming home of a family member. And I'm not necessarily talking about neighborhood church specifically, but I'm talking about the church as a whole. We got churches throughout the city. We are one church. And what are we gonna decide for our communities even here? And as I read Paul communicating the tale end of this letter to the Romans, I'm struck by the heartbreaking reality that he was just looking forward to some good company. He said twice in the, in the verses we read that he was just looking forward to getting to Rome so he, he could hang out with his, with his people out there. He's never even met them and just have some good company. And he's dreading going home. And we have the knowledge of hindsight to say that he had good reason to dread it because it was a complete disaster when he got home. And so Pastor John Uh, has really, like I said, has really done a good job of speaking boldly and strongly for a few weeks now of why can't we just get along? And here after uh, the segment of Romans, I feel challenged to address it one more time. We have enough opposition in the world to face without making each other worry about our standing here in the church amongst each other and together. And instead of becoming a brood of vipers who snap at each other or hiss at each other, we ought to be a beacon of hope and of love and acceptance 
in a way that no worldly group can possibly match. We ought to accept one another with flaws and all and let the spirit and teaching of the word work away at our edges. And so we need to say enough with judging others because we want to, so they want to give candy to kids on October 31st. Or enough with being concerned because so-and-so listens to unchristian music. Or enough with worrying whether or not someone believes in premillennial or postmillennial rapture. Enough with uh, speaking of millennials shaming an entire generation because they're living in a different world than you grew up in. Enough with worrying so much about what books other people's kids are reading. Enough with worrying so much about whether Kanye or Bieber are actually saved. Enough with the judgment and hatred that believers can cast on other believers. And Romans has been very clear. It says enough with the disputable matters. It's not time to be concerned about the disputable matters. Because the fallout of such a church that's concerned about those things beyond the gospel advancing can end up being in a position like Paul was returning to the Jerusalem church where there should have been good news and rejoicing and a clear path into a wonderful time of celebrating together the winning of souls for Christ. And instead he walks into a church with trepidation and fear of rejection. And Paul was isolated through his work and mission, even though those who initially sent him uh, were supposed to be with him, they ended up isolating him. And he states clearly that he just wants to be refreshed by good company. My question is, are we good company? Is our church a church that is good company? Are people afraid to come home to us because of how hard we are on each other? Are we making people worried to come home because of how we disagree with them? Or how concerned we are with the specifics of how we think the kingdom of God should be operating? Do we make people feel anxious to be around us because of our judgment? Even when they, like Paul, might be bringing us good news? Now, I feel like I could just, like, talk about this for a long time and, like, scream and jump up and down and stuff and get really excited. But it's not going to matter until we actually ask those questions for each of us here tonight, like in your heart of hearts, about what your acceptance is and what, whether you're going to be the church of Jerusalem or a church that's actually welcoming and accepting and ready to love on somebody regardless of whether they disagree with you on a disputable matter. We need to receive each other. In fact, There's another commentator that says that Paul is pointing out in previous chapters that the way that we can defeat Satan is actually just by welcoming each other, just by being kind to one another. That's the way that you win, not by setting proper rules and making sure people are living the way that we want them to, but it's actually just by being kind, by being welcoming. And so the question is here, would we refuse church unity for our own preferences? Would we refuse to bear the image of Christ, Christ deformity, for the sake of our personal ideas? Honestly, would we refuse someone because they don't look the way that we want them to, whether it's actual physical appearances or the way that they live their lives? Because the reality is, is that today, we're not here at church to be a club. We're not here because if you put your hand over your chest and swear to certain behavioral policies, you get to be part of this cool group where we get together every weekend and make each other feel really good about ourselves. 
We're, we're not here for a cozy, safe place to feel good because we all think the same thing. And that might be a hard thing for some of us to accept. But the reality is that this, the church, is supposed to be a radical, unified, exceptionally diverse body of Christ. And this is the kingdom of God, and he sets the rules. And so we've all heard it before, but a hospital isn't for healthy people. How many of you guys have heard that before? Okay, yeah, humdrum, right? Yeah, a hospital isn't for healthy people. We've all heard it before. It's for sick people. But even though we've heard it all the time, we can always end up saying, like, well, yeah, but, uh, you know, my kids are in this hospital, and that person should probably be in a different wing. Or we can end up saying something like, well, yeah, we're all in this. It's, it's a hospital, but I don't celebrate Halloween, so maybe you should go to another hospital if you do. And we start putting these stipulations on, on how people should belong, and it's just... Again, as I was reading about Paul crying out for prayer from his Roman friends to help him be received by his home church, I couldn't shake off this feeling of what had happened to the church that they had become so concerned about preferences that they couldn't even accept the good return of a missionary. Because sometimes churches look like that. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, that's not my church, or I've never seen a church operate like that before, but... I have to say that I've literally seen somebody barge out of a church shouting and irate simply because a song was playing. And it wasn't being played by the worship band. It was just some intermission music that was playing over the speakers. And they literally shouted and were upset and shoved people out of the way to get out of the church because they didn't like the band. And the, the song wasn't even saying anything crude or bad. It was actually talking about love. But they didn't like the band And so they're so upset that they barge out of church. I've seen someone refuse to go back into a church for years because they didn't like the way that somebody tried to tell them something they didn't want to hear. And I've seen someone demand that that the entire church be purged of specific fictional children's books because they weren't written by a Christian, have them removed from the building because they're a bad example for the kids. Uh, And these books were about princesses and magic and true love. And they left on the bookshelf books about serial killers, fictional and non-fictional. I've seen people become so absolutely inconsolable because they saw uh, a book in a church just existing that disagreed with their theology. They weren't forced to read it. The pastor didn't endorse it. They were just like, that's in the church. And they were inconsolable. I have seen someone share their testimony about God overcoming a story of abuse and tragedy and trauma in their life and someone use it against them to try and discredit what they're trying to do in the church. And I've seen people shun someone just because they thought they were pretty. No joke, that's not even made up. They thought this person was pretty and so they didn't talk to them. And I can't count the amount of times that I've seen in church somebody smile and nod to somebody's face and then I hear... 800 stories that they're telling about that person behind their back. This is what can happen in churches. Like, I'm, I'm trying to say all this not to get you bummed out and be like, you know what, church really does suck. Let's leave. But I'm trying to say all this because this is the potential of people that are more concerned about preferences and having it their own way and having people look the way that they want to than the gospel. And so... You might even be thinking, you know, whoa, those are some messed up churches. Those people suck. But I can assure you that some of these stories are a lot closer than you might realize. And it makes me think, how bored do you have to be with the gospel 
to be so hung up and upset about such little, unimportant things? And how little do you need to care about the imperative need of the unity in the body to actually choose to focus on those things? And so, I'm not saying that you have to like Halloween. I'm not saying that you have to like a certain band or you have to let your kids read certain books or TV. Or I'm just saying let's agree to D. You know, let's agree to disagree because that's exactly what Paul is saying. Eat the meat or don't eat the meat. Because the reality is, is that the dissension you cause by not allowing for disagreement in the body actually becomes sin in the body. When you demand everybody to look the way that you want them to look and to have all the priorities that you have, you are walking yourself into sin. So I'm not saying agree on everything. I'm not saying we shouldn't have healthy conversations about our beliefs or convictions. I'm saying that we need to stop being terrible at disagreeing. And we need to stop sucking at disagreeing, basically. And so... um, This is really it, and I just want to say, I want to encourage us that this does not have to be our church. I'm not preaching this sermon because I'm like, you know what? The neighborhood church sucks. I better just say some stuff about this. The reason I'm reading this is because I see a man in Romans 15, Paul, who's scared to return home because of what his church is going to think. He's bringing the best news they could receive, but because the news doesn't look exactly the way that they wanted it to look, it ends up becoming this huge issue of trepidation. And so as I read that, I want to I say this sermon as a, as a word of warning. Like, we don't have to get there before we start to avoid that. You get what I'm saying? You don't have to get to the stop sign before you hit the brakes. Like, start braking before the stop sign. Right? Yeah, Mark, Mark is down with me on that one a lot. Um, so I just want to say this evening after all this really big bummer stuff, not our church. Not our church. As Paul said at the beginning of Romans and at the end again just now, I know you to be full of goodness, and I know this church to be full of good, loving, kind, thoughtful, compassionate people, Christ-serving people. And we can be so much more than just biggering and, and bitter Christians who refuse a sign of unity over petty concerns and preferences. And so I believe that our church can rise to the challenge of Christiformity. We can be unified in presenting the image of Christ and nothing less than that. We don't need to have everything else crossed and lined to be unified in the image of Christ. And we can decide that in this church, we won't cause people to fear coming home because of how we're divided or how we're going to treat them. Like Paul felt afraid of going home to his church in Jerusalem. And we won't let petty disagreements over disputable matters drive our family apart. We won't let our bitterness or criticism be the number one thing that we mention in our homes about our church. We won't let the list of complaints and frustrations about church be the first thing our kids hear as we're driving home. We won't let Christiformity be sacrificed because of disputable issues. And so this is really just the challenge that I have tonight is reading this made me sad, reading the commentaries and thinking about how Paul must have felt. And it made me realize that the potential to be 
a church that gets so caught up in whether the lights should be green or purple or what color are they now? Or whether we should redecorate the stage because we want it to look this way or the carpet or uh, should we get a new sound system? Or, you know, is it okay to give out candy to children? These don't need to be the things that we die on. And so I just have a little ask yourself test and then Chelsea's going to lead us in a little bit of reflection here at the end. Um, and if you hated my sermon, then this is your opportunity to forget about it before you leave and talk to people. Um, but this little ask yourself test, if you're uh, getting a little bit worked up about something in the church, ask yourself, is this necessary to salvation? Is what I'm making a huge deal about right now necessary to somebody's salvation? Is this going to take somebody away from God? Also, you can ask yourself, is what you're caring about so much essential to the gospel? Is this something that somebody needs to believe to be saved by Christ? And if the answer to those questions is no, then we should probably focus on the unity of the church above our preferences. And so this is really just a a challenge. It's been a challenge to my heart, and I hope that it's actually something that challenges you as well. And as we go into this song, I just want to pray for us. Uh, God, I just thank you for your word, and I thank you for the history of your church and the fact that people have gone and done church before us. There's so much that's happened before us, and God, you've remained the same. Um, God, we just want to be a church that is focused on unity and representation of you above our preferences, above things that could potentially divide us or cause us to fight. And God, if it means that the foyer gets a different color floor than what we want, Lord, would we just strive for that Christiformer, that, that, that image of you that we unify under. And so God, we just pray that um, as we go into this time of reflection, that you would just help us all to examine our hearts. Lord, help me to examine my heart for the things that I'm so concerned about that aren't essential to your gospel. And uh, God, we just thank you that you are alive, you are speaking to us. And God, that I believe that this doesn't have to be our church. And so uh, we give this time to you, Lord. Amen. We are so thankful that you've listened in to the Neighborhood Church Podcast. If you have questions or comments about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you. Go to the podcast description and follow the link to get in touch with us. Everything we do would not be possible without your generosity. If you would like to give, check out that same link in the podcast description. If you have enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.